and welcome to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. Our podcast is all about learning how to educate your kids. I'm one of the hosts, Elle, and this is episode 38. This episode is a special episode where we speak with Dr. Janice Adams. Dr. Janice Adams and I air live and pre-recorded sessions on my Instagram channel on Mondays. So definitely tune in and listen, especially if you've enjoyed this podcast. Also, we have some bonus live broadcasts now available on youtube.com slash cleverlychanging, where we discuss how to get started homeschooling. For those of you who don't know me, I am an entrepreneur, mom to twin girls, and this podcast is not only for parents who homeschool their children, but it is for all parents who want to supplement their child's education. Our goal is to provide you with encouragement, insight about African history, and support as a parent and home educator. New episodes are uploaded bi-weekly, so please remember to subscribe, share, and tell a couple of your friends. If you want to keep this podcast going, remember to support it by donating to our Patreon page. There are some special benefits for people who donate to Patreon. Today's African proverb is, The heart of the wise man lies quiet like limpet water. And that's a Cameroon proverb. It's now time for the word of the episode. Moya Wangu means my heart in Swahili. I'm Elle, and I'm from the blog cleverlychanging.com. I'm a mom to twins, and I have a blog that discusses finance, health, and wellness, as well as homeschooling and parenting. I have a homeschool podcast, the Cleverly Changing Podcast, and I hope that you will check me out on my blog as well as listen to the podcast. And I'm just really, I've really been enjoying these conversations that we've had, and I thank you all for tuning in. Yes, me too. And I'm Janice Adams. I'm an author, historian, and um, I am a journalist as well. I host the Janice Adams Show on public radio as well. I And that's also a podcast as well as I've written several books for um, adults as well as for children. And uh, I too am a mother of twins. That's one of our fun intersections here. And from my experience um, raising my twins and realizing some of their needs, I created a children's series, backpackskids.com. You can find us there. And um, so that's what I do. And you can visit me on my website, janusadams.com, and that will, you can click right on there and that will bring you directly to backpacks or about my shows or anything else. My specialty has been for years history. 
and um, as a scholar of women's history, as a scholar of African-American history. And particularly this week, I know Elle and I wanted to discuss two historic giants, moral giants, leaders, um, C.T. Vivian, Reverend C.T. Vivian, who died two days ago, and, well, forgive me, it's not two days ago, but early, we are pre-taping this, so um, a couple of days ago, and John Lewis, who died two days ago. Um, both giants of the civil rights movement. And, you know, one of the things that I am always concerned about when we say the civil rights movement is that in my work, I've become very clear that it was the penultimate human rights movement, because it was not just when you violate someone's civil rights, the way African Americans were violated that is a human rights violation and should be seen as such. But what were your thoughts when you heard about the deaths of these two men? Well, I think for the most part, my heart was crushed because the time that we're living in, I feel like they didn't get to see it in better. And to me, for men to have fought so long and hard, for better human rights for all of us, for them to die in a period of just turbulence in our society, it was a bit crushing because I think, you know, to pass on and feel like your work has really made a difference, you know, would just have felt better. And maybe they did feel like their work had really made a difference. And I believe that it has, but each week we've been talking about how far we've come, but how much further, you know, we really should be and we aren't there yet. We're really repeating the same. And so, you know, my heart was crushed because I feel like they deserve to live um, and see better. And the fact of our politics and our voting rights to be, you know, at stake right now in 2020, to me, it's like when I thought of uh, Representative John Lewis, his skull was fractured for protesting for the right to vote. And here, that was in the 60s. And here we are many, many decades later, and people are seeing their voting rights being rolled back in certain states. And so personally, I was crushed by that. And I hope that they were very positive men. So, you know, they always were able to see the bigger picture. And so I think they always looked for the good that was to come. So that's really how I, yeah. how I pictured it and view it. In fact, when I've been asked, you know, um, well, you know, it looks as though things just haven't changed any. And especially as you've just said that, John Lewis is very, one of his main statements was, if you think nothing has changed, walk a mile in my shoes. In, and it's one of the reasons that I don't like to say nothing has changed because too many people gave too much 
even if it's drips and drabs, too many people gave too much to get to where we are for us to say that nothing has happened. And it's not because of the country that I don't say it, it's because I don't want to dishonor the people who gave their lives for this. Um, indeed, I think sometimes we need to be very, uh, a little bit more aware when we talk about who's a patriot and who isn't. Um, I think black people have been infinitely patriotic because they put their lives on the line. These people that we're talking about put their lives on the line to improve this country. Um, so yes, things have gotten better and both men did see considerable change in their lifetimes that they themselves deserved credit for. They never took credit you know, just as themselves, but they certainly deserve the credit for that. Indeed, Shuttlesworth was, it was the way shut, excuse me, it was the way C.T. Vivian was beaten down for speaking to um, Bull Connor, the Bull Connors and the, in particular, Sheriff Jim Clark. There was one notable incident where C.T. Vivian was speaking to them and he analogized the, the actions of the, the sheriffs and their deputies to what Hitler had done in the Third Reich. And he was accurate in, in that. In fact, what many people don't realize is that Hitler very clearly said he took his inspiration for the final solution from what America had done in terms of its treatment of indigenous people and of blacks. We don't want to see that, but we need to see that. And that was where Hitler said he took his inspiration. So here are these people who lived through that um, and who were the victims of that, who spoke to it. And C.T. Vivian was beaten to a pulp that was the reason why then the march across the Pettus Bridge was called in answer to what had happened with C.T. Vivian and the people at that earlier demonstration. And that response was then met by this huge, you know, you don't even think they had that many deputies and sheriffs in an area. And indeed, they must have called them from all around the area, not just from Selma, to come and be this presence to beat back Black people from, from saying, no, we will not be abused at, at every turn. And that is the, that march across the Pettus Bridge that John Lewis led with Hosea Williams was the one that John Lewis's skull was cracked with. That's how sick these people are. That's how vicious and vile um, American law enforcement has been toward black people. And, um, but he, he came through it. I don't wanna say he rose above it because that's really not something to rise above, but he did come through it. What he rose above were things like growing up 
so impoverished. And then with his just fierce determination to educate himself in a place that would happily collect taxes from his parents, but did not want them. That's the taxation without representation that we should be talking about. Um, and it was a life and death struggle for, for us, not about some taxes and tea in a harbor. Not that people did not have a right to protest that, but when we are protesting life and death and are not supposed to do so, you have to call those things into perspective and into question. And it was protesting that beating back and beating down that led to what is now known as Bloody Sunday. Um, but John Lewis rose above the people who would take his parents' taxes, not allow him to have a decent school, not allow him to borrow a book from a library saying you're, you're whatever they wanted to call them at the time. You can't even borrow a book from a library. And the strength of this man's character, I think that's what we need to talk about when we talk about people in the movement, is not this depravity that some whites were so willing to demonstrate, but the strength of character of the people who participated in the movement. And that is what rallied people the world over to our defense. It really is. And for me, that's what I love about being able to witness them in my lifetime and see them and see their work because they were such dedicated people. And it's like, for me as a young person, you've gone through so many hard times and have been literally abused. John Lewis had been jailed over 45 times and I could say it's easy to get discouraged if you're working so hard and you're being abused, but he didn't get discouraged. He continued to continue to pursue justice and continue to educate others, continue to work in Congress, and he never lost hope. And so for me, it's saying, although we may not make the strides that you imagine and envision in your mind, you still have to fight on. You cannot lose hope. You still must continue. And I think they really um, just showed the best example that they could show about how to keep going even if things aren't the way they're supposed to be. So that's really one exactly. of the takeaways that I take from their life. Don't, don't lose hope. Don't get discouraged. Don't allow the depravity and the things that you see to cause you to give up because giving up is never an option. It's never an option because that's what they want you to do. That's what they are pushing you to do, to say, I give up. And then what do you end up getting for that having given up? You get Jim Crow, not that people gave up. Um, and that's why we have Jim Crow. No, we had Jim Crow because people were depraved. That's why we had Jim Crow. We didn't have all these horrific laws because people gave up. 
we have had these horrific laws because of the brutishness and the sickness of this culture that could only thrive in its mind. It talks about greatness, but why does greatness require brutality? Why does greatness require who you can exploit? Why does greatness require who you can kill on a street? That's not greatness. So that is, you know, some people who, who attempted to give up, you are fighting for yourself. That's what you're fighting for. You are fighting for your self-regard and self-respect. And that is why we cannot give up. It, as you say, it is not an option because it is not an option whether or not I should feel safe as I walk down the street. It is not an option whether or not my two grandsons who are both the baby of the two is six, seven. The elder of the two is six, two. It is not an option whether or not my family should have to worry every day which crazy policeman is going to decide that they are really great targets for today's, you know, today's hunting practice. No, that's not an option. So um, I was talk, I was interviewed the other day and the person said, well, don't you see progress? And she was so, she was wanting me so badly to see progress and to say, but things are a little better. And yes, it's okay because things are a little better. And I'm really tired of that. What I see is that you're either pregnant or you're not. You're either just or you're not. You are either decent or you're not. You are either a society that upholds its laws, not its fundamental ideals, because its fundamental ideals were quite problematic, as we know. The founding ideas were founded on genocide and enslavement. So we're not going to uphold the founding principles, no. But the fundamental ideas as expressed in the Declaration of Independence, those are the founding ideals, and that we do need to uphold. Either you're going to uphold those or you're not. Either you're going to tell the truth or you're lying. And I think this society has had a little bit enough of lying over these past couple of years that we need to really see ourselves for what we are and what we have become once again, and then take action, not for change, but to stop it. Just stop it. That's my take on it. Right. Well, I know that you were able to attend the March on Washington. Can you share what that was like to be there in person? It was, it, you know that I attended because it was one of the most unbelievable experiences of my lifetime. My mother, my father had already died, so my mother took me. And she and I went together with a cousin and 
and her, her sister and my cousin. And we got on a bus in Harlem. We, we were living in the Bronx. We got, we drove down around two o'clock in the morning to be on a bus in Harlem at three to head to the march. We were told that this was, once we got on that, the prepping and priming of everybody, I mean, you know, everybody was excited and thrilled to be there, but the, they made sure we were focused. And the focus was on the idea that this was a journey from which there was no turning back. You know, this was, we refer to the March on Washington. It was the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. And it, I always, you know, in my head, I would say, well, why freedom? Why freedom? And it's only in the last few years that I've come to understand that freedom wasn't a metaphor. It was the freedom that had not happened after the Civil War supposedly granted freedom to all Black people. That was why the reason. So we were going for the unfinished business of something begun in 1619, but then a turning point that was supposed to have happened in 1865 at the end of the Civil War that did not fully happen and was never fully realized, hence why we were there for freedom. And on that day, we then took the bus down. We did not have any problems from New York into New, Jer uh, into New Jersey, Pennsylvania, but when we got to the Maryland-Delaware border, you know, that proverbial Mason-Dixon line, we, the driver pulled into a, a bus stop. And when we got there, our bus was completely surrounded with a white mob. There were sheriffs there, sheriffs and police, let's say law enforcement, who stood back and let this mob have a good old time rocking that bus from side to side, back to front. Um, I, I have frequently said that what they intended was no lullaby, but that bus was rocked by this mob, determined in their way that we would not go to, to Washington. But we did. Our bus carried on. And when we got to Washington, D.C., when the driver got us out of that mess and we got to Washington, D.C., it was, you had come through the fire, come through the storm to get there. We were greeted by the people who had arrived before. They too surrounded us, but in an entirely different way to welcome us. We in turn welcomed the bus after that. It was, that's what it was about. Um, and the movement was defined for me that day. I remember I was a kid um, and my aunt had made this pink and white gingham dress for me. And I had my, I was a teenager, but my, I had my hair because it was hot, August 28th. I had my hair in these long, thick braids. 
and this pink and white gingham dress with a scarf. And one of the other things you'll notice when, when you look at the pictures of all these demonstrators, people are always dressed. You notice John Lewis is beaten down. They are dressed in suit and tie. The women are dressed in their Sunday best. They may have on flats, but they're dressed. And we were dressed too. But after that March on Washington day, I never wore my hair in those braids again. And I never wore that pink and white gingham dress again. It was my coming of age. And the positive part about it was the privilege of being there with all the speakers, being there in the thick of all the demonstrators. There had never been a march of that size before. Um, the Congress actually closed that day because they were so terrified. What they were terrified was their, of was their guilt for perpetuating and keeping this. That too is the miracle of Black people that we have not done unto others as they have done unto us culturally. And that's what that nonviolent movement was about. So it was an epiphany of our strength that we had gotten there, that we had done this, that we had been able to pull it off, that we had surprised everybody. And it was just the most powerful experience. So by the time, yes, John Lewis spoke, and he was extraordinary because he was the kid on the stage. He was the youngest. He, he was in his 20s, but he was still the youngest. And Dr. King was no elder either. You have to remember that these people were young. Um, Dr. King, Malcolm X, they were killed. They were 39. So all this had, that had happened to, to in Dr. King's public lifetime began when he was 26 and a recent college graduate. So my, you know, I, I just still remember the sound of the crowd and, and the pride people took and the way we looked out for each other. And that to me was what the movement was about. If you couldn't march, you could, serve those who did. If you couldn't, if you were not in the position where you were strong enough to know that those blows were coming, then you were there to bandage and, and care for those who did. Whatever you could do, the march had a place for you. The movement had a place for you. That too was empowering. And it is no wonder, therefore, that J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI, a demon, if ever there was, who allowed these horrific acts to happen against Black people. Um, he called Nobel Peace Prize laureate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. the most dangerous man in America. And indeed, we were dangerous because it was dangerous to, to just believe in yourself, dangerous to believe in each other, dangerous to keep each other going, and dangerous to say, ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. And that's what we were that day. That's powerful. I think to, in my lifetime, 
I can only think of those life-changing moments. Like for me, the Million Man March is something that has stayed in my mind. And I remember the words, I remember the kids who, because I was a kid and I remember the kids who went up there and spoke. And I remember the feeling inside that I felt that I felt so much hope, so much promise. And, you know, I guess for my kids in their lifetime, in some ways it would be the women's march. So I think that each, Every few decades, there is something, a monumental moment that will be life-changing, that calls you to look within yourself and see whether or not you're going to be committed to fighting for human rights for all people. And I think for us, it has called us to be committed to it and dedicated to educating other people. And I think, you know, it's always more to do uh, but I think everybody has a role and everybody has something that they can do. And so yes. I thank you for educating us in this conversation because it's living history. And on my blog, when I wrote about Dr. When I wrote about Representative John Lewis, I, John Lewis. I spoke mm -hmm. about you know, meeting him in person. And the first time I realized that the civil rights movement wasn't so long ago. My sister had been an intern at the King Center in Atlanta, Georgia. And when she oh, returned, wow. she came back with a brochure about freedom writers. And even as a child, I loved historical um, knowledge and I was drawn to history. So you know, I was just so excited that she gave me this brochure. <laughs> and I remember opening it up and I remember seeing the birth um, year of many people and the year that they died. And I remember there were several freedom writers that were still alive. And I was like, some of these people are still alive. And John Lewis was one of the freedom writers that was still alive. And so many decades later, having the opportunity to meet him in person was just a surreal moment for me and a life-changing experience. And, you know, we have to pass these moments and pass these experiencing experiences on to the next generation because we can't have them think this is something that happened in a book so long ago because it wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. And so I think that, you know, just having this conversation with you has encouraged me to have more conversations with my children about America, about civil rights, about human rights, and about the work that they must carry on themselves. So thank you. Thank you. And didn't you posted a beautiful picture of yourself with John Lewis, where was that? So I believe it was last year. It was either last year or two years ago. I attended mm -hmm. a um, Black Caucus event. I'm in the DC area and they often have uh, parties and after parties after yes. <laughs> different gatherings. And I attended an after party. Uh, for and where should people go to see that picture? Oh, so you can go to my Instagram. It's cleverly changing on Instagram and it's 
one of the pictures and he was he was like really the same height as me but i had always seen him <laughs> as a giant of a man and he is <laughs> stand there next to him although in physical stature he's not he wasn't a giant but his voice his voice made him 10 feet tall because it just it just moved you and that night you know to to speak to him to you know hold his hand and you know to see his smile it changed me it it made me see that you know i may just be one person but even i have something to do something that i can do to further his legacy and so i'm sorry that he has passed on but i do appreciate the experience and the opportunity to meet him because it definitely was a life-changing moment for me yes Absolutely. So, well, thank you so much for joining us today on Mondays Live with Elle and Janice. We look forward to being with you again next week. Um, this is really a joy for me because it's, it's very rare that um, you get to share what you think is important. You get the validation that it's important, but you get to share the stories of all of our lifetimes. And I think it is so empowering for us. John Lewis was a poor boy from Alabama who became this, what is, he is known as the conscience of the Congress. And, but he had a family and everybody in that family Yes, Black Lives Matter, because everybody in that family had a role, had something to do to encourage each other. So here is from Elle's family and from my family to your family, Black Lives Matters, all Black Lives Matter, your life matters. We we celebrate you and we thank you so much for being with us on these Mondays because it is a privilege for you to welcome us into your space. So thank you. See you next Monday. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.